Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Park Lawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. Wow. Good morning, church. I cannot tell you what an honor and privilege it is to be here with you today. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. You have a great church. You believe that? Man, that worship was such a blessing. It may seem like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. What? Oh, my goodness. I needed that today. I needed that today. Uh, Bishop, thank you for this opportunity to be here. I just uh, honor you. I love and respect you so much. That's why people keep coming to ask you to be a part of their stuff. Because you're the man. And uh, we are so grateful to have you as a part of our team. I'm grateful to be on your team. Uh, Church, you're blessed with a great pastor, shepherd, bishop of this house. First Lady Judy, what a blessing you have with their leadership. Just love his heart for people, his vision for the future. Bishop, thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your leadership, not only here, That's significant. The influence of this place in this community, you'll never know until the other side of heaven, the lives that you've touched. But the influence and the impact that you're making nationally and even globally. uh, Church, thank you for sharing your, your bishop with the rest of us. His influence and impact is significant. Thank you for that. Thank you for your partnership in reaching more people for Jesus Christ. I don't know, church, if you've realized, but our world needs Jesus. I mean, we are a hurting and broken world. We need Jesus, and God has been speaking a fresh word. You just got a little glimpse of it just a moment ago, speaking fresh vision to Bishop about how to multiply impact, how how to reach more people for Jesus. And isn't that what it's all about? to reach more people with the good news about Jesus. Church, I believe you're positioned, like Bishop said, you're positioned uh, for the future and to, to be a part of what God wants to do moving forward. Now, this church I know has a great and rich and deep history, and you should be thankful for that. But this is also a church whose vision for the future is more than their uh, remembrances of yesterday. The vision for the future is significant here, and I believe that God has more in store for this church. Do you believe that? God has more in store for you, 
and for your family. Now, I know some of you may have come in and you may think that your best days are behind you, right? I'm getting a little older myself, uh, and uh, I'm realizing I'm a little closer to the end than the beginning. Now, don't let this youthful-looking face deceive you. My body is breaking down, people. I'm getting older, and uh, no one warned me what 40 would do. Uh, but uh, So I know how easy it can be to start thinking about the end, and you feel like maybe my best days are behind me. But I'm telling you, your best days are not behind you. I don't care how old you are. Your best days are ahead of you if you serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? God has more in store for you and for your family. And maybe you're thinking, well, you don't know what I've done and you don't know where I'm from and you don't know where I've been. Listen, uh, God uses broken vessels to do amazing things. And I want to just share a little bit about that with you today. God may want to do something unexpected in your life and in this church. And here's my message. Here's what I came to share. God wants to give unexpected people an unexpected opportunity to do unexpected things. Unexpected people, I put myself in that category, an unexpected opportunity to do unexpected things. That is only possible through Jesus Christ. Here's what it says about Jesus. I just want to talk to you about Jesus today. Is that okay? Here's what it says about Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. You don't have to turn there. We're going to be in Matthew 9 and 10. You can go ahead and turn there if you want to. But I want to just start us off by reading this passage from Matthew chapter 12, 18 and 21. This is uh, Matthew quoting the prophet Isaiah referring to Jesus. And here's what it says. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through victory. Listen to this part. In his name, the nations will put their hope. This was said about Jesus as a hostile uprising was developing against him. You read just a few verses before, and it tells us that they were conspiring to kill Jesus from this point forward. Matthew chapter 12, 4, they were conspiring to kill Jesus because Jesus threatened their power, the religious leaders, that is, the rulers of the day. He threatened their power. He threatened their control. He would even threaten their economic engine in the temple. He was a threat to them, and that threat, well, they would rise up against that, and it would lead to his violent death on a cross. You know, the more things change, the more things really stay the same, don't they? We live today in a time of tension, uprising from every side, pain, dysfunction, injustice, complexity, bad news. Our nation is polarized, more divided maybe than it's ever been. We're constantly made to think that we've got to choose sides. Have you noticed that? You can't read anything, you can't watch anything without being made to feel like you've got to pick a side. The older I've gotten, the more I've realized there really are no sides. There's only sin and brokenness all the way around. 
all the way around, among us, only sin and brokenness. And maybe you're here today and you've been in some way touched by that sin and brokenness in this world. You've been hurt. Heart maybe has become a little callous. Maybe there's dysfunction in in your life and in your home. Maybe your sin has caused brokenness and dysfunction, and, and you think that that disqualifies you. I don't know, but I do know the solution today is the same as it was 2,000 years ago, and his name is Jesus. The life, death, resurrection, mercy, grace, love of Jesus is the answer to our dysfunction and injustice and division and pain and ignorance. He is our good news. He is our justice. He is our victory. He is our salvation. He alone is our hope. Friends, hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. So, Father, we pause right now, and we ask you to speak into our lives and speak into our hearts. Lord, we live in a messed up and broken world. There's no denying it. We are, in fact, messed up and broken people. Oh, but Lord, you want to use these broken vessels to do beautiful and amazing things. You want to use this place, these people, this church, Lord, to bring hope to the nations, to bring hope to the neighborhoods, to bring hope to people who right now today, as we sit here, do not have hope and they do not know you. So, Lord, speak to our situation. Speak to our lack. Speak to our hurts. Speak fresh vision and life and hope. Lord, let there be a, a rising up of our faith today and a calling out of our names today to do what you have made us to do. Lord, help us to no longer stand on the sideline, but to get in the game with you to reach people with the good news about Jesus. Lord, your name and your church are the only answer for the world that we live in. Help us to see that in a much clearer way today, I pray in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, before we go any further, let me introduce you to my family. Uh, I brought a picture I think they have uh, on the screens of my family. Uh, There's my beautiful wife, Kara. Been married 19 years this summer. It's a long time for people that look that good, I know. And there's our three handsome little boys, Cannon on the right, 13 years old, called to be a pastor. Oh, you better believe I'm going to nurture that call every day he's in my house. Filled with the Holy Spirit last year at camp. Thank God for camp, church camp, and uh, loves the Lord. And there's my middle son, Caleb, my youngest son, Cooper. Uh, They're not as sanctified as their older brother, but they're on their way. We just happened to be walking by this body of water and that beautiful bridge, and somebody snapped that picture. Oh, you mamas know that ain't true. Months of preparation. Hours of weeping and gnashing of teeth, thousands of clicks of the camera to get that one picture of all of us looking the same direction and smiling. But there they are, proud of my family, love my family, and uh, my boys are out of school for the summer. Milwaukee, are you out of school yet? You are? Okay, all right. Some are, some aren't. Well, it's that time of year where kids are getting out of school and, and summer vacation, right? 
not as glamorous for adults. Somewhere along the way, we stopped having summer vacation, and we had to go to work every day. But nevertheless, it's summer vacation, and it got me thinking about my summer vacations as a kid. I grew up in the South, and I was just reflecting a little bit about my childhood and what we would do uh, for the summer. And we would take road trips in the South. I would sit there with my friends at school the last few weeks, and some of them would tell uh, stories about where they were going to go on vacation, some far-off places and exotic locations, and they were going to get on an airplane and go somewhere. Well, that just wasn't how we rolled in my family. We didn't do all that. Uh, My family, I loved my time together with my my family, my parents, but uh, we weren't big spenders. My parents weren't. They weren't big spenders. We vacationed on a budget. There were no airplanes. We, we didn't fly anywhere. Plus, why would you fly when you have a 1979 wood-paneled Buick station wagon? Oh, my goodness. Made for the open road and family adventure. Oh, so we would load up the station wagon, and uh, we would hitch up our pop-up camper. You guys ever seen one of those things? You don't see them much anymore, but back in the day early 80s, uh, man, those, those were pretty popular, especially in the South. So I remember the day my dad came home with his used pop-up camper. I looked at it. I said, how are we going to get in there? It's flat like a pancake. You know, it's like, how are people going to get in there? But once you started cranking that thing, oh yeah, there was a crank on the outside. All of a sudden, a 25 square foot That's right, 25 square feet. Bed, bath, and dining room chamber for the gods would emerge. Woo! And so we would hitch that bad boy up to the Buick station wagon, and off we would go. Uh, we, We lived in central Florida at the time, so my family actually drove past Disney World on the way to our vacation. So as a kid, you're thinking, well... If we're driving past Disney World to vacation, it must be good. This must be good. Well, my expectations didn't always match the reality. Where would we go? What could be better than Disney World? That's right. We'd go out into the woods. We basically vacationed in the woods, uh, the Smoky Mountains to be more specific. But uh, we would stay in KOAs. You guys know about KOA campgrounds? They have them up here in the north, and they're all over the south. They're these uh, sketchy little campgrounds by the highway, perfect for families or people on the run from the law. (laughs) You could just go right in there and hide, set out your, plug in your camper, first of all, set out your folding chairs, and watch the 18-wheelers go by. That's what we did. That was our vacation. And the drive itself, those of you that can remember maybe taking road trips with the family wherever you go, uh, the drive itself is part of the vacation. Back in the day, it's not like today, where you're like you, we buckle kids up like they're going to the moon today. Well, back in the day, we slept in the floorboard of the car. Little enough, you sleep in the back window of the car. You just put, put uh, some blankets down. That My mom called making it a pallet. You'd make a pallet in the floorboard, drive all night, just laying in the floorboard. I didn't know that if we got in a wreck, I would be like a missile going out of the windshield. But that's just how we did it. No one seemed to mind. And there were no bathroom stops. We didn't stop for the bathroom. My mom turned around and gave me a plastic cylinder. Like that was premeditated. She brought it from home. 
All right, she'd bring that, and it was normal to me. I didn't know any different. That's just how you did it. She didn't like to stop. Uh, we were going somewhere, right? Got to get to the woods, plug in that camper. And uh, the drive was part of the adventure itself. And then we would get there and just kind of walk around and look at trees all day. And uh, uh, now I realize why my parents vacation like that. First of all, it's expensive to vacation when you got kids. Let me just tell you, I can't go nowhere without it costing $100 with three boys that eat a lot, right? Uh, but, uh, but man, those, those times were some of my greatest memories. Now, they weren't always what I expected when I headed out for summer vacation. We didn't always have the, the most adventurous times necessarily, but those times were some of my greatest and fondest memories. Sometimes, whether it's vacation or the journey through life, sometimes life doesn't meet our expectations, does it? Sometimes we take a little twist or we take a little turn or where we go was not how we pictured that it would be when we set off, right? Sometimes, sometimes life doesn't meet our expectations. In fact, life is full of the unexpected. But it's in the unexpected moments. It's in the unexpected parts of the journey. The parts you never saw coming that God can transform our lives in the greatest ways. That's what he was teaching his disciples in Matthew chapter 9. Following Jesus, he would show them and tell them is full of unexpected moments. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be this morning. Verse 35 to 38, here's what it says. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When, the, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, yeah, you got to get this, the harvest is plentiful. It's basically saying, we're never going to run out of need. We're never going to run out of opportunities to minister to people and to deal with their brokenness. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. He's teaching them now how to pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Following Jesus is full of unexpected moments. As you review the chapters before the passage that we just read, you're going to see a whole lot of unexpected moments. You see that Jesus touched and healed a leper. That's unexpected. He healed the paralyzed servant of a Roman soldier. Well, that was unexpected. He shuts down a storm by simply saying, be still. Well, that was unexpected too. He cast out demons, forgives sins, and makes a tax collector part of his crew. Big time unexpected. Heals the blind, the mute, raises the dead, and healed a woman who'd been suffering for 12 years simply by allowing her to touch the hem of his garment unexpected. And now he teaches his disciples in chapter 9 and in chapter 10 to pray an unexpected prayer and to do unexpected things. He gives them, church, I believe he's giving us today an unexpected opportunity. And in this passage, 
There's three questions that I think Jesus would pose to us today that he's posing to his disciples in this story. And the first one is this. It's on your screens. You may want to write it down. The first question we need to answer is, what do you see? What do you see? Jesus is telling them what he sees in this passage. As he travels to the surrounding communities, and as he begins to minister to the outcasts, the brokenhearted, the people in need, it says that he sees people who were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know what sheep without a shepherd are? They're lost. Sheep aren't known to be the smartest in the animal kingdom. They oftentimes, quite literally, will beat their heads against the rocks. They will walk straight ahead into thorn bushes. They will even walk off of cliffs. The sheep aren't the smartest in the animal kingdom. Is it any uh, coincidence that we would be called sheep in, in, in the passages of Scripture, in the Lord our shepherd, the one who protects us, the, ones, the one who extends his staff to bring us back from danger, the one who even can touch us on the neck and remind us that we're in trouble and bring us back to safety, the one who watches over us and protects us, the one about whom we, we can say, oh, it seems like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. He says, these were people afflicted and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, hurting to overcome, helpless to overcome the issues and challenges of sin and dysfunction in their lives. So when you look at the people in the places around you, Park Lawn, what do you see? How do you see the people around you? Do you see political affiliation? Do you see the comment that you saw on Facebook? Do you see where people are from and what people have done? Do you see their mistake? Do you see all the ugly ramifications of their sin when you look at them? Because that's our tendency, right? We define people by the worst thing they've done. That becomes their their stigma. That becomes their identity in so many people's eyes. Can I tell you, church, that you, me, none of us, none of the people around us are the worst thing that we've done. We are more than the worst thing that we have done. How do we see people, though? How do we define who they are? Do we see the effects of their sin? Or do we simply see people who are harassed, helpless, broken, hurting, like sheep without a shepherd? Do you see the difference in how we would look at people? It's the difference of looking at people like in the flesh or looking at people like Jesus looked at us. And when we begin to see people like Jesus saw us, something shifts in our heart. Something changes in us. We started a church in Mesquite, Texas several years ago. My wife and I pastored this church. Mesquite, Texas is a very diverse place. It's racially diverse. It's generationally diverse. It's economically diverse. It's divided. The city actually is divided by highways, several different highways that break it up. It's, it's divided in many different ways, some physical and some spiritual, emotional. We started this church and we felt like God was calling us to bridge the divide in our community, to build trust 
in the community, whether people ever came to our church or not. That was a conviction that we had when we started this church. We didn't really know how to do that. We were walking kind of blind on it, uh, weren't smart, didn't really know how to meet the needs necessarily, but we listened well. And when you don't know what to do, you better learn to listen, right? So we listened well. And we heard uh, that there was just great need in the city, and we thought these needs are needs we can meet. We can do this. We can, we can at least meet some of these needs. And so felt God tell us to, to do a, a big event for the city, a back-to-school event. Even when we were small and still growing, we did a big event that we had a... Uh, we fed, we fed people, we gave out school supplies, we asked doctors, dentists to come out and do free screenings for people, we had a job fair, we just did everything we could to meet as many needs as we could and said, God, uh, we feel like you're in this. And I'll never forget that first year, 1,200 people from the community came to our property. And we had set up outside all of these, you know, uh, bounce houses and places, things, activities for kids. And we set out a stage. It was the 1st of August outside in Texas. It's 107 degrees. Man, it is hot. Fire ants out in that grass. I mean, it's just that the conditions were, were difficult, but we built a stage out there in this little field by our church because we were not going to just meet needs. We had to share the gospel. Had to. So I'll never forget getting on that stage. We had music, a kids program, and I got up on that stage to share the gospel, and I looked out at this crowd. 1,200 people I didn't know. These were not people I recognized. These were people from the community that came out because they needed something. They needed hope, really. They thought they needed school supplies, but what they really needed was hope. And so these people came out, and I'm looking over uh, the, these 1,200 people that I didn't know, and I began to share the gospel with them. And then I gave an invitation for people to come forward who wanted to receive Christ. And at first it was crickets. No one came, and I'm up there, man, I'm giving everything. I'm sweating, I'm crying, I'm soaking wet, you know, and, and it's hot outside. And, and then one lady gets up from the back, and she begins to make her way down to the front to receive Jesus. And then another one, and then another one, then ten more. Then 50 more, and they begin to flood down to the altar, this makeshift stage that we had set up in a field to receive Jesus. All told, 200 people came forward to receive hope in the name of Jesus. And, and I prayed over those people, and we escorted them into our church to, to follow up with them and to give them a Bible and to talk more. And then I opened it up for people to come forward to receive prayer, prayer for healing, prayer for addiction, prayer for marriages that were falling apart, prayer for all of these kinds of things. And, and, and everybody, I mean, more people came than were left in, this, in the chairs that we had put up out there. And the altars were full of people. People came down there in wheelchairs. People in crutches made their way down to this makeshift stage in a field. Big, burly men full of tattoos that I would never want to meet in an alley, but was happy to meet at an altar came forward 
Single moms with kids in each arm came forward to receive prayer. Black, white, brown, young, old, rich, poor, boys and girls came down to receive prayer. I'd never experienced anything like it in my life. It was like straight out of the book of Acts. What was happening was people heard hope, hope in a name, the name of Jesus Christ. And it was that day God opened my eyes. He birthed the heart of an evangelist in me. I never would have said that about myself, but he birthed that in my heart. And as I looked out over this crowd, God said, Chris, I did not call you to pastor a church. I called you to pastor a city. And don't think about whether they come on Sunday. Think about what their need is and whether they hear my name. Don't pastor a church. Pastor this city. I walked inside the church after it was all over with my wife. We found a quiet part of the church and we just wept. I'd never wept like that before in my entire life as I understood the weight of the need and what God was calling us to do. I looked out that night and saw sheep without a shepherd and God had called me to pastor them. Now, now God's brought me into a new season, a new role, a new perspective. I work at the Assemblies of God National Office. Many of you don't know maybe what that is. It's fine. You don't need to know. The, the, the point of my role now is I have a national perspective to see the need in our nation. And I'm seeing things from a whole different perspective. I'm facing issues that I've never had to face before. I'm seeing needs that I've never seen before. I'm seeing hurt at a level that I've never experienced before. He's brought me to this place where I'm seeing the national need. And can I tell you, friends, the long and the short of it is this. We need more churches. We need more gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, healthy churches all over this nation. If, if the greatest hope the world has is the gospel of Jesus Christ presented through the body of Christ, the church, well, let me just tell you, we need more churches. We need more churches like Park Lawn. 80% of all churches in this country have plateaued or in decline. 50% of this nation is considered unchurched. 10% of the U.S. population, that's about 35 million people, 10% of the U.S. population has never, ever been to a Christian church service of any kind in their entire lives. That's the fastest rising part of our population. It makes sense with globalization and immigration and the way the world is actually getting smaller and people are migrating to different places. It would make sense that that would be the greatest growth in the population are those who have never ever in their lives been to a Christian church service of any kind. Our cities are hurting. Our great American cities are in pain and they're hurting, and they're divided. We need more churches like Park Lawn who don't turn on the news and shake their heads. They roll up their sleeves and live and love like Jesus. 
Parklawn, you are making an impact in this city. We need more churches like you all over this city and all over the nation. That's why I believe God has positioned me now for this time and is raising up a generation of like-minded people to see another wave of church multiplication happen. We are praying and believing for a healthy, spirit-empowered church in every single community in America. There's 20,000 American cities that don't have even one Assemblies of God church. I didn't know that before I came to this job. That's why I love the heart of Bishop Harvey and the vision that God has given him and this church, this house, to multiply. Can you imagine 100 new churches in Milwaukee? I mean, think about that. What would it be like in this city if you had 100 park lawns? Would the tone change? Would the culture change? Would the rhetoric change? Would crime go down? Would people find hope? Hundred churches like this one all over Milwaukee would change everything. Love the heart of Bishop Harvey. I love the vision that God is giving. And as you look around then at your neighborhood and this community, as you look around the nation, what do you see? God is calling us to see the need and take responsibility. The opportunity God is giving you starts right where you are. What do you see? That's first. Second, how do you pray? How do you pray? What you see should change how you pray, right? Doesn't that make sense? If we see pain, if we see injustice, if we see dysfunction, if we see people without hope, shouldn't that change how followers of Christ pray every day? Jesus tells them what he sees, and then he teaches them how to pray. He says, there's not enough workers, so pray to God to send more. That makes sense. Listen, compelling vision always comes from desperate need. Compelling vision always comes from desperate need. Once you begin to see the desperate need, it should change how you pray. Look in scripture. Abraham begged God to save a city. Nehemiah cried out to God when he heard about the desperation in Jerusalem. Isaiah felt the depth of sin and said, send me, O God. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem at their hard hearts. And the disciples in Acts chapter 4, a newly persecuted group of people in Acts chapter 4, gather together and they don't pray, God, take this away. God, save us from the persecution. God, remove our enemies from us. What do they pray at the end of Acts chapter 4? Oh God, give us boldness to proclaim the name of Jesus. That was their prayer. And it said the ground beneath their feet began to shake. God begin to add to their number every single day. What are your prayers like, church? How do you pray? What level of urgency and intensity are you calling on his name for the people that you see around you? We can't say we have the heart of God and pray selfish prayers. If every prayer is about you, fix this. Give me that. Open that door. Oh, God, please. Oh, God, give. Oh, God, do. How much of our prayers are actually self-centered prayers rather than calling on his name 
for the brokenness that we see around us. We can't say we have the heart of God if all our prayers are self-centered. Jesus teaches us specifically here how we should pray. Lord, we see the need around us, and we pray, O God, that you would send workers out into the field. Oh God, somebody must be called. It's not me, but somebody you're going to send. Oh, and we'll give you glory for that somebody. Must be for them over there. I got too much going on. Too busy. Got kids, different season of life I'm in right now. But I will pray that you send somebody to someplace to say something. This is where the story turns. This is where it shifts. He says, what do you see? How do you pray? He teaches them how to pray. Send workers to reach these people and meet those needs. But then something amazing happens. Jesus tells them to be the answer to their own prayers. What if, what if you were the answer to the prayer that you were praying? Would it change how you prayed? Jesus teaches us to be the answer to their prayers. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. Same disciples he'd been talking to, teaching them how to pray and what to see. He says, he calls his 12 disciples to him, gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. You, in Christ Jesus, my friend, have authority. Did you know that? He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. You are not helpless. You are not down and out. You have the authority of the almighty God to speak to this messed up world. So he gives them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Then Matthew 10 verse 5, right after These 12 Jesus sent out. Say, sent out. These same 12, he said, I want you to see how I see, and here's how you ought to pray. Now I'm going to send you out to be the answer to your own prayer. He sent them out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles, not yet, or enter any town of the Samaritans, not yet. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, and as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Park Lawn. Friends, there's a world who is messed up, broken. There's injustice all around. There's hurt all around. There's sin all around. We can't pick sides because it's messed up all around. Our message is this. The kingdom of heaven has come. Jesus has come into this world to heal disease, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. That's the message that we have, and we've been given authority to share that message. Christians in this nation have to get off the sidelines and get in the game. We've been given authority and sent out to be the answer to our own prayers. So this last question, the question for us now, what do we see? How do we pray? Here's the last question for us now. What will we do? Parklawn. What will you do? Many of us are programmed to do as little as possible. I'm right there with you. I come home after a long day, or maybe after a trip like this one, I'll come home, walk in the door. My wife hasn't seen me in a little bit or been a long day. Uh, I come in, I've used up all my words. I got no more words to share, right? I don't want to do anything. I've been working all day. I don't want to fix anything. I don't want to mow anything. I don't want to clean anything, right? 
Can't we pay someone to do that? No, it doesn't work good in my home and it doesn't work good in the church to have that mentality, right? I, sometimes when, when I come home and I change a light bulb, maybe, I want there to be a story in the paper. Local man goes extra mile. <laughs> Celebrate it. I change the light bulb. Tighten the screw on the door handle. Sometimes in the church, give a little, do a little. We want to be celebrated. Look what I did. I did something. I finally did something, you know. And we expect there to be our name on the screen and special announcement. Sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so, we finally did something, right? That's not, that's not how the body of Christ works. The body of Christ doesn't work like that. Right? We don't just pay people to do the work. We are called to do the work of the ministry here. The goal is not to just drag ourselves to church a few times a month as if we've accomplished anything. By doing that, the goal is to kick Satan in the teeth every single day, populate heaven and empty hell, and tell people about Jesus who are hurting in this community to do the work of the ministry, to give and live for the things that really matter. What will you do, Park Lawn? God is calling each of us. I believe it's a new day. I believe he's searching, searching this nation and saying, where are the ones where are the ones that will rise up? Where are the ones I can count on? Where are the ones after my own heart? Where are the ones who understand the brokenness and will not just pray that somebody at some time will go do something for those people, but that they will get up off the sidelines and go be the answer to their own prayer. He's calling us. He's positioned us now to answer the cries of the hurting around us, to be the answer. He's positioned us for this moment, park lawn, friends. He's calling us by name. He knows your name. He knows your situation. He knows your lack. And although it seems like we're surrounded, the truth is we're surrounded by him. He's there in it with us. And sometimes the situation that we despise past, place that we're from, that we want to run away from, sometimes those are exactly the things God wants to use to bring hope and transformation. He knows our name. I'm standing here today as proof that God knows our names and has a purpose for our lives. I was the result 41 years ago of an unwanted pregnancy, somebody's mistake maybe. Aren't you glad mistakes can be redeemed? Yeah, me too. So God allowed me to be adopted very early age and placed in the home of a godly mother, a godly father who taught me what it is to know the word of God, who taught me what it is to pray. My mom's from L.A., lower Alabama. You get that? And in lower Alabama, women pray different. It's a full contact sport down there, man. There'd be times I'd walk by my mama's room and I'd hear wailing and crying. And, oh, my Lord, what's going on? Is, are you okay? Then I'd realize, oh, my mama just praying. <laughs> She's praying. Probably praying for my sorry soul. But I was put in this home. 
The enemy never wanted me to stand here with this microphone. He never wanted me to come into this world at all. I was, a, I was somebody's mistake. But he redeemed that mistake, had a purpose and a plan for my life. And now, because of his sovereignty, because of his opportunity, because I said yes somewhere along the line in my life, there have been people in Mesquite, Texas, there have been people all over this nation and around the world who have said yes to the name of Jesus because I said yes to the name of Jesus. And can I tell you, Parklawn, can I tell you, friends, there are people today on the other side of your yes. And when you say yes to give and to go, Parkland, when you say yes to be a multiplying church, then what you're doing is you're giving people, some yet not yet born, you're giving people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. He's going to ambush them with his love one day because you said yes. God is giving unexpected people an unexpected opportunity. I'm an unexpected person God is using and so are you. So can I encourage you to be the answer to your own prayers, start in your home. Be the answer to your own prayers in your marriage. Be the answer to your own prayers in your home. Be the answer to the, your own prayers in this church and in this community. Be the answer, Park Lawn, and watch what God will do in your life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? As much as I know God has plans for this church and ways he wants to use this church, I'm sensitive to the fact that there may be people here this morning who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus and I want to give opportunity and I would ask you the same three questions. What do you see? How do you see yourself? Too far gone? Too messed up? Made too big of a mistake? That's a lie from the enemy to prevent you from receiving hope in Jesus. How do you see yourself? Can I, can I tell you to see yourself as God sees you, as loved, as forgiven, as his son and his daughter? That's how he sees you. I'm gonna teach you how to pray this morning. I'm gonna pray a prayer together. If you wanna receive Christ, you can do it today. My last question is what will you do? What will you do this morning? to step out of where you've been and to come into where God wants you to be. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor Chris, I've been messing around, playing games with God. I, I need to get my life right. Or maybe you're here and you'd, you'd say, I need to give my life to Jesus for the first time. Ask forgiveness of my sin and make him my savior. If that's you here today, would you just lift your hand up so I can see it with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want to include you in my prayer. If there's anybody here, yes, ma'am, I see your hand. God loves you so much. Yes, sir, I see your hand. God set this up for you today. Hallelujah. Anybody else that would say, Pastor Chris, include me in your prayer. I want to get my life right with God today. I need forgiveness. Yes, ma'am, in the back, I see your hand. God loves you. Anybody else? To my right and to your left. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. Hallelujah. God loves you. Yes, ma'am. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask all those who raise their hands, along with everybody in here who loves the Lord, to repeat this prayer after me. And I want, I want you to know the power is not in the words we pray. The power is in our heart to believe that these words are true. And if you believe these words are true, you can know today your sins are forgiven and you have the hope of heaven. So let's repeat this prayer out loud, all of us, Park Lawn. So dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I'm tired of doing it my own way. 
I surrender my life to you. I believe you are who you say you are. The one who can forgive my sin. So I ask you today to forgive my sin. Teach me to live for you. Teach me to love you. In your name I pray. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Parkland Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.